you are listening to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm, where we talk to authors about a book that has stuck with them through the years, for good reasons, or sometimes bad ones. My name is Chris, he, him, also known as C.M. Lowry. I love to read and write, and I recently released a book of flash fiction called The Die Decides. Find out more about me at allaboutchris.org, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at C.M. Lowry Author. However, you're not here to listen to me. You are here to listen to my wonderful guest. I'm excited to say I have Jay Dragon with me here on the show. Uh, Jay is the author of the Wonder Home RPG with Yaziba's Bed and Breakfast coming out this year. Hello, Jay. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, Jay. Yeah, sure. So uh, I am a tabletop RPG designer. Uh, I write, uh, I like to joke, I'm like the, the, the queer independent version of Dungeons and Dragons, which is what I tell my parents at Thanksgiving when they ask what the hell I'm doing with my life. Does that Um, actually, does that actually clear it up much for them? (laughs) uh, I'm like, Hey, you know that thing like in Stranger Things? And then they're like, yes. And I'm like, I do that. And they're like, darling, we know you've been doing this for like two decades now. Um, but it, it, it has like a 50% success rate, which, which gets there sometimes. So better, better than nothing. Um, I, uh, yeah, I write, I write games. I, um, I'm really interested in stories about nonviolence, about like kind of the, the magical possibility of queerness and nostalgia and like returning to childhood as an adult. Um, and the kind of like magic that can be accessed in the, you know, kind of in the mundane world, like the slice of life. Indeed. And uh, so so why are you on the show today? Well, so there's this book I read. Well, what, what book have you brought for us today and why? So this book is called The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. And it's by Kat Valente, who is one of my personal favorite authors. Um, It is a children's book um, that was originally written as a web serial online where Valente was writing like a chapter a month or something and just putting it out there and then assembled it all together into a book. it is in the style of Alice in Wonderland or the Phantom Tollbooth. Like it's very much like the episodic kid going on adventures style of story. Um, and it is about a young girl named September who uh, is uh, very bored and tired of sitting in her room. And the green wind comes riding atop a great beast who takes her and spirits her away to fairyland. Uh, and she goes on a number of very strange and magical adventures. Indeed. Um, I've actually, uh, I've, I haven't read all of it. Um, I, I definitely started reading it uh, and I was, I was captivated. I, I actually started reading it last night and I was a bit tired and it's, 
it's quite intense, isn't it? Like there's a lot it, going on. Yes, it's it's it has a particular way of writing where I think that this is a holdover from the fact that it was written period. It was written chapter by chapter. It wasn't written like holistically and then edited in, but where the writer has to lay all this foundation for stuff that might come up in the future, right? Like, so she like writes all these like there's all these like little moments that like just capture you, all these little bits of poetry that just like pull you along and tug you in different directions. It, um, it's, and it, it, is, it, it really, it, yeah, it's absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's full of it's full of really little interesting little touches. Yeah, there was actually one bit I read. Uh, one of her shoes came loose as she hoisted herself over the sill. And this will be important later. So let's take a moment to bid farewell to her prim little Mary Jane with its brass buckle as it clatters on the parquet floor. Goodbye, shoe. September will miss you soon. Like little little things like that are just so full of life. But they're also a bit crazy, aren't they? Like You, yes. you, don't, you don't see it in, in a lot of writing like that way. Yeah, the narrator is very present in like a like like it really feels like Cat Valente is sitting there telling you this story and that like she's somehow like weaving it out of the air and there's this like interesting thing of like object oriented ontology which is like a consistent theme throughout the book mm-hmm. of like the perspective of objects being valued just as much as uh human or anthropocentric characters which is like not you know like it's such a, I don't know, a postmodernist device that I have a weird passion for, but it's so interesting to have, like, a chapter that is just about a key being moved around. Like, a you know, a chapter that is just, like, or, you know, a paragraph that's just, like, what a door has seen, you know? Like, things like that that are just so interesting and, and unexpected. Yeah, there's there's one bit where they uh, where September puts on a coat and it, it talks about how the coats learn a few learn a few things on its travels and so knows how to keep someone warm well. Yes, absolutely. Do you do you have a a quote for us that you'd like to read out, Jay? I absolutely do. And this is a quote pretty early on in the book. In fact, you've probably already encountered it if you've been reading, but I think it is such a it feels almost like the um the the, the brass knocker on the door, right? Of, of the book of the door, this is the thing that kind of promises you what you're going to find inside. It like, it mid kind of like, it kind of sets you up like, oh, wait, this is more than just, like, this is more than just a kid going on an adventure. There's something actually really beautiful and compelling in this text. Um, and the quote is, the leopard of little breezes yawned up and farther off from the rooftops of Omaha, Nebraska, to which September did not even wave goodbye. One ought not to judge her. All children are heartless. They have not grown a heart yet, which is why they can climb tall trees and say shocking things and leap so very high that grown-up hearts flutter in terror. Hearts weigh quite a lot. That is why it takes so long to grow one. But as in their reading and arithmetic and drawing, different children proceed at different speeds. It is well known that reading quickens the growth of a heart like nothing else. Some small ones are terrible and fey, utterly heartless. Some are dear and sweet and hardly heartless at all. September stood very generally in the middle on the day the green wind took her, somewhat heartless and somewhat grown. I read, I read that and it, it absolutely, I mean, it jumped out at me in a, about three different ways. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the bit where it turns upside down, 
you know the idea that kids are kind of innocent and nice you know yeah yeah the idea that kids no kids are kids are little monsters but also like that's not like a, a bad thing that it's just like they are heartless like but that is what is like that's what's beautiful and you know fae like it's fae right it's like this kind of fairy preoccupation of like children children exist in a world where nothing has any context and so they cannot understand the weight of their choices and they cannot understand the weight of the choices of others um but also that like that's not that's a compassionate thing that's not a judgmental comment that's not like a, a condemnation of children that is like just a a, a caring observation and in fact in this world is framed as a fact like that is just a true thing about how the world operates and in fact in later books even comes up as like a plot point like <laughs> and, and i think it, it you know you mentioned alice in wonderland and there's a real kind of lewis carroll kind of jabberwocky mm-hmm. vibe of of the whole way the whole way through i've noticed already there's there's just little bits where words are changed for other words mm-hmm. and there's no comment made on that it's just dropped in as if we always you know would use this noun in a different manner from how it's normally used yes absolutely um and i think like the there's a there's a deep love for wordplay throughout the whole thing where like it is telling the story of this like you know it's, it's a girl on an adventure and it, it's, it has that kind of like like it's really enjoying all the different ways words can be used, right? It's really delighting in like puns and like weird double entendres and like, you know, weird kind of like, like unexpected things. Like there's a quote later on. Um, I, I don't know if I can just flip to it, but uh, it's about um, a mother's love for her daughter. Here it is. Wow. I flipped to it pretty fast. When they are in a great hurry, little girls rarely look behind them, especially those who are even a little heartless, though we may be quite certain by now that September's heart has grown heavier than she expected when she climbed out of her window that long ago morning. Because she did not look behind, September did not see the smoky glass casket close itself primly up again. She did not see it bend in half until it cracked and death hop up again quite well, quite awake, and quite small once more. She certainly did not see death stand on her her tiptoes and blow a kiss after her, a kiss that rushed through all the frosted leaves of the autumnal forest, but could not quite catch a child running as fast as she could. As all mothers know, children travel faster than kisses. The speed of kisses is, in fact, what Dr. Fallow would call a cosmic constant. The speed of children has no limits. And that's and that's just amazing because it's like because because of course in reality, the speed of children does have a limit, doesn't it? But yes. like, but it, but it it believes itself so much that maybe in this story, it, it actually just doesn't. Yeah. And the truth of like, oh, well, maybe you can catch a kid, but that's because the kid shows to not run as fast. Like the kid, the kid, like there's this, like this, this, like almost stubborn, this bullheaded belief that there's this magic that is impossible for us to fully capture or contemplate. And like its presence in our, in our world as a metaphor, like the metaphor is this truth that our real world is trying to emulate. Like it flips the relationship of the, of the story and the storied object on its head in such a beautiful, like that just leaves you like, Oh, of course this has to be how it is. There's no other way it could be. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very it's very confident. Like the whole, I haven't yeah. I've only read a couple of chapters, but the whole way through, it's just it's presenting totally different worlds and ideas and just and that's how it is. Like, it's, like there's no yeah. like apology 
there would be an apology that, that you maybe have misunderstood how it clearly is, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, like, I'm like, there's these great, um, in the second chapter, third chapter even, there's like the, the border guard where it says like, you know, everyone has, like, everyone dresses into suits of authority, like, you know, puts on authority. It's just that this, the bo- the Fairyland border guards authority is a literal monster like a, yeah. a giant steampunk dragon named authority and like but like every like this kind of understanding like okay in the real world a border guard wields this situational authority that is very terrifying and monstrous and unexpected in the fantasy world because for fairies the relationship between the fairy and the literal the literal and the metaphor is on its head the 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 metaphorical power is represented by a literal suit of armor. And then the, like the literal border becomes a metaphorical border. Right. So it's like this kind of like things kind of fall back into each other. It's, I mean, it's, it's undoubted. I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever read anything stylistically quite like it at all. Um, but my only closest reference point is the phantom toll booth. But even that is like, you know, I've actually read Alice in Wonderland, and I've read a couple of um, I've read a couple of books. I I can't recall who they're by, but that take mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland and kind of extend it, and kind of you know some almost fan fiction, but I think it's sort of semi-official. Um, that mm-hmm. that that go in and and imagine what would have happened if like the Queen of Hearts was actually kind of a capitalistic dictator or something like that, and yet still, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the 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 pure kind of almost like the silliness really is is. Is taken so seriously here. It's 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 fascinating. Yes, absolutely. What is your favorite thing about the book? We just talked about a bunch of my favorite things, but I reckon <laughs> I, I, think I, I I think that my favorite thing is properly um, the way. It is a children's book, but it doesn't shy away from navigating kind of the the true somber and sometimes quite sobering reality of the world. Like, it's not interested in, like, fluffing things up with rainbows and unicorns. It is frequently a very, like, straightforward and dreadful, honest of, like, hey, sometimes the world is truly a horrible place. Like, it's not pulling its punches, which is, like, I deeply respect. I have very little... I... Stories about lighthearted subject matters tend to walk a very thin line because the grown-up predilection towards not sitting with our own emotions can really hamper kind of that... Like, we are afraid to sit with our emotions, right? Or we are afraid, and like that can be, we're afraid to sit with our positive emotions or our negative ones. And so when I read something uh, by someone who's afraid to sit with their emotions and they're trying to do something lighthearted and sweet and slice of life and cozy, they either pretend that the, the negative world, the dark world doesn't exist. They kind of erase it and throw it aside. Or they... Uh, they turn it into like a grotesque happy tree friends style, you know, kind of like romp because they're anxious about the thought of acknowledging that they are too deserve. You know, they are also deserving of love. Like it's this anxiety that makes it kind of hard to read a lot of, a lot of, you know, sweet stuff. 
And this story really, you know, walks the tightrope where it's like, it is able to be present in the darkness while also still being fundamentally a book for kids and yeah. like a, a book for very, a book for very smart and weird kids, but still a book for kids. You know, I, mean, I, I was, I was absolutely just thinking, you know, I, I have a, I, I probably wouldn't to her face describe my daughter as a, a smart and weird kid, but she probably, <laughs> probably she's, uh, she's nine, 10, she's a voracious reader. And I think she might struggle with just some of the kind of complexities of the language a little bit with this, but um, yeah, I, it's that thing you said there. Like it, we can really infantilize children, can't we? Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read uh, any Beatrix Potter. I I actually find it pretty much you know it's like the classic. I find it pretty much unreadable because just yes. nothing of consequence or drama happens at all. It's it's um you one of the things you um you uh. You you've talked about previously, and we're not talking about it today. Um, Redwall and uh, Wonderhome, and a lot of people have compared Wonderhome to anything with animals gets compared to Redwall. Yes. And Redwall yes. has a lot of issues, which we're not going to cover here. But one of the things Redwall <laughs> also has is there's a lot of like violence. Um, but like it's yes. it's it's not just a happy, fluffy place where nothing of consequence happens. Um, and I did um. I did see, I think I heard an interview with you talking about Wonder Home where someone said, you know, is this a game for kids? And you were like, well, but I mean, everything can happen still. Like it's not limited to just this happy, fluffy, you know, yeah. you can go through, even even if you're kind of committed to kind of non-violence and ideas like that, that doesn't mean you can't explore things of real kind of trauma and consequence. Yes, absolutely. And I think there tends to be, it's this very interesting thing where, um, I think that the things that kids want, kids enjoy things that challenge them and help them kind of push out of stuff. And so I do think Wander Home like is good for kids insofar as like I grew up on Vampire the Masquerade, right? Like that was my like I would go into Barnes and Noble and I would sit in the corner with a bunch of World of Darkness books when I was like eight and just read them. Yeah. Um, which and like those are, you know, nineties. RPGs that are very dark and gritty and not age appropriate. And I think that there's the childish mind is a lot, it's a lot more fey. It's a lot darker. It's a lot more, you know, it's a lot more captive. It's a lot more heartless than I think uh, grownups give children credit for. Well, I mean, it's, it's like when it's like, like Roll Doll probably another kind of classic kids author mm-hmm. really i think really hit it hit the nail on the head in in a lot of ways of like you know yeah. george's marvelous medicine like george is just doing horrible things and isn't a nice person and 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 yeah, yeah and and i think children are well you know we've talked about this being kind of aimed as being a children's book and mm-hmm. and yeah children they do have real depths and i think they feel they maybe feel maybe more than we do or or more yeah. than we allow ourselves to do, you know? So there's, there it there's, is. Yep. there's that laughter, but there's that, that depth of sadness, that intensity maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and it sounds like this, yeah. it sounds like this book really, really depths into those in, in places. It really, it, it, it manages to deal with death. It manages to deal with like loss and adversity and hardship in a way that, it doesn't forget kind of what it's what it's ultimately written for, but it also kind of is very beautiful and has a lot of like it's not a it's not a childish relationship with death. It's not trying to dumb down or strip away the complexities of loss. 
the the great antagonist of the story um is this being and figure who and try not to spoil it but she um she wants to get back something she has lost and the kind of conclusion of the story is that she can't like that's just not she just can't have back like the childhood that she lost effectively and like normally in a in a children's story be like oh no don't worry you can still you know like everyone can always be happy you know like you know you can always you know through the power of friendship or whatever it's like no it's you know it's it's heartbreaking what has happened but it is just you have to live with the truth that sometimes people are hurt in ways that cannot be fixed yeah I, I, the thing that came to mind the thing that came to mind when you said that the the uh, I don't know if it's Disney or Pixar or whatever Tangled, uh, yeah, which is a kind of yeah. a reimagining of um, oh, which one is it? The long hair one. What's the long hair? Rap- uh, Rapunzel. No, it's not Rapunzel, is it? It's sleeping. The one in the tower. Who's the princess? Yeah, it's Rapunzel. Is it Rapunzel? Okay, okay, fine. But but it's <laughs> it's a it's a, mo- it's a modern reimagining of that. But then actually, the the, the you know spoilers as well for Tangled if you haven't seen that. But like <laughs> at the end of it. Like the princess gets returned to the family that lost her, like like you know, 10, 15 years ago. And then everything's just okay again. And it's like, no, you've been trapped in a tower for 15 years by a like a a horrible person. Like you you need a lot of counseling and you're not gonna know how to like deal with like love and relationships, yes. you know, like <laughs> as I, that stuff. One of the things I really adore in the second book of the Fairyland series. It opens with September. I was like, I was like, I was a little skeptical going into that one. So I was like, well, they actually, what, what's this going to be like? Um, and it opens with September being a few years older. And the fact that she can't adjust to normal high school because she has experienced all these things that none of the kids have. And therefore, like, her emotional landscape is totally different. And also she lost her shadow. And so she just carries this perpetual scar at the base of her feet that she can't let anyone else know about. Um, And she's desperate to go back, but is also terrified that she cannot go back because she's now no longer quite a kid. She's a young teenager. And like, what a way to open a book, right? Like what a, what a way to just like, like take the like just take everything that got built up in the first book and lay it out as like oh and now you know like now you have to live with you know like like now you have to live with going to narnia and becoming king of narnia and then returning to the mortal world that, that's the like, that's the example i was gonna bring up there is the bit where they come out of the wardrobe and they're like oh we were kings and queens like 10 seconds ago and now we've got to go through like puberty again. Like as yes. in as in this again. That's <laughs> again. Yeah. It's like they live to be old in Narnia. Yeah. It's like it's this, it's this kind of there's something like deeply like I've I've oftentimes found it deeply distressing the thought of like there'll be thought exercises that are like, what would you do if you woke up in like 2007 and everything since then had been a dream? And whatever and i'm like that is horrifying that is like existentially dreadful to imagine that you can live the fullness of a life in a in the time of a dream a, a, a space of time that you forget about almost immediately like there's just something very like i don't know like it's this i think that like it's a popular like kind of thought process because we live in a very like uh, in a time period where, like, we're worried that all of our lives have no meaning, and that, like, the kind of end conclusion of philosophy is that life is pointless, and so we're like, 
we're very interested in like what could it mean for our lives to be pointless like what if it is just a dream what if we are just specks on the on the wind but i also find it to be very dreadful to to be like oh what if you could just you know like what if you wake up and none of the past 70 years mattered and it's like how could i live another 70 years I think the uh, I think that continuity as well that you talked about being in the uh, the Fairyland series here. I, I definitely when I when I read um, Alice in Wonderland, I I not that I read it a lot, but I, my readings of it, uh, it, yes, it it definitely comes across as something where someone had some ideas and puts them in a scene, and then the next scene is is really quite disconnected from the previous scene. Often, you know, yes. like kind of the Mad Hatter's tea party doesn't really play very much into the next scene and that sort of thing. Whereas having things threaded together a little bit more sort of throughout here, you know, the idea of celebrities, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. I think, I think comes up, um, I, ironically, well, you know, they're celebrities, of course, they're, they're very private, like turning the idea of celebrity <laughs> on its head. Um, yes, but, absolutely. But it doesn't, I don't think it just gets mentioned once, you know, it, it those mm-hmm. sort of things, those ideas go through. So, do you have any problems or or challenges that you've had with the book? Yeah, I think my I have two kind of nitpicks, which I think one of them is due to the way it was written, and then the other one is due to the way the future books weren't written. Um, <laughs> which is um, it, my main problem with the book itself is due to the way it's written episodically, right? Where it was like very clear, like if you look into the history of it, it's like Cat Valente wrote a chapter at a time, published each chapter. And the book is the collation of the chapters that were written. Hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's it it works very well. It it adds a number of things. I think you lose out on um and like that is how most books were written prior to the 20th century, right? Like most 19th century books were written in that chapter by chapter style. Um, and I think it means that sometimes things lose out a little bit on coherence, where like you can see Cat Valente realize an idea that maybe she should have started laying the groundwork for like five chapters earlier, right? Like she can't, like she can't foreshadow. She can just shadow and then hope that her future self fills in the four part, right? Like there's this kind of like, there's a lot of like putting a lot of trust in herself and like, it is cool to see kind of, the limitations of the text medium show itself in the writing. Like you can feel her having to really work with the limitations she set for herself and doing a good job with it. But also there are moments where I think it undercuts kind of the ability, you know, it it just limits her ability to tell a good story. And I I feel that. Um, And then I think my other complaint is that the future books don't do that, that the future books were written. Like, cause basically clearly what happened is she wrote, the first book, chapter by chapter, it was a you know it was a niche success, and she got like a a multi book deal with yeah. you know the publisher, uh, Squarefish apparently, um, and in the future books, those books are just written you know written and then published. They're not laid out chapter by chapter, and so they feel too tight. They feel almost like they like the future books start to lose a little bit of the magic of the first book because they feel kind of too well put together. Like they don't have that kind of like caterwauling, strange, you know, like jumpy quality that the first book has. Um, And they start just feeling like a story about a girl in fairyland, which is like, sure, it's cool, but it makes the, the episodic like style of the chapters where it's like, 
like by the third book, I actually haven't read the fourth or fifth one because by the end of the third book, I got really sick of the format of the main character travels to a place, meets a kooky person who's a metaphor for the real world in some way, has a conversation with them where they give her one plot important thing and then she moves on to the next person. Like you start to feel the 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 repetition of that by the third book really hard. Yeah. And it kind of undercuts its like it kind of it kind of strips away its ability to like you can tell when like Cat Valente is having like a a a passing fascination with a particular philosophical concept, for example. But because like by the third book, or like by like the second book, it'll be like, all right, here's the four chapters that are about Bacalard's poetics of space. Here's the four chapters that are about, you know, seeing and being seen. Like you can see like what happened at a certain point is she'd read a philosophy text and then just use those as chapter inspirations yes. for like a number of chapters. And that's fine. I just it just starts to like it it's it's a repetitive formula that works well in the first book, partially because the first book lays bare how it was written. Like you could feel it in how it was written. And like I think part of that, like the fact that it is a like the medium is the message. And the first book feels much more like an adventure than the, the second or certainly than the third but i haven't read the fourth or fifth yet and those do different things the fourth book from my understanding is about uh, a boy who came from fairyland and got stuck in the real world and then the fifth one is about the main character as a grown-up i believe so those I think will both be interesting in their own way. I haven't gotten to them yet, but I think that I think maybe even Catalina could tell by the end of the third book she was kind of getting tired of the of the structure. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think definitely the the you know it feels incredibly fresh. Obviously, I've not finished yeah. reading it, and I've only I've only the prose and the the ideas feel incredibly fresh. I think if they began to feel a bit more tired, I would then. I mean, already it's. It's a hard read in some ways in terms of yeah. it's not because it's, you know, pushing so many boundaries and and turning upside down expectations and, and having that, you know, you mentioned the narrator being very active. It, I wouldn't say this book breaks the fourth wall. It just kind of ignores the fourth wall. Should <laughs> even exist, really. Um, yeah. But um, but yes, like all of that's quite, you know, cognitively tiresome. Um, and, uh, and it, yeah. Yeah. I think it's held together by the author's energy. And when the author starts losing energy, it all kind of starts to feel very tired. Yes, I agree. Um, what should people who have enjoyed the girl who circumnavigated Fairyland in a ship of her own making? Uh, that is a long title. Um, <laughs> the people who enjoyed uh, this the book. The Fairyland book. <laughs> the Fairyland book. What should, uh, what should they, what else do you think they should read? Uh, um, definitely Kat Vonda's other stuff, especially her adult works. Um, Radiance in particular is a truly phenomenal exercise in like, infinite jest style uh science fiction where it's set in a science fiction version of like what if the like it, it's set in what if the victorians were right about space travel and there was the luminous ether and therefore they you know and therefore hollywood happened on the moon instead of in california and then therefore like what if you tell us like the story is about the daughter of a famous director 
who becomes a documentarian and then gets abducted or goes missing somehow. And the story is about the the entire book is the play the dad is writing or the play the, the the script the dad is writing about his daughter's disappearance as he's trying to like comprehend what has happened as he switches genres and like pulls in various pieces of documentation from like the events surrounding it and like interviews with her lover and stuff like that and you learn about his dark it's like whoa, it's a whole like bizarre science fiction thing um so Catalan's other stuff is phenomenally written and if you're looking for something that like is a little bit more like let's like you she goes in deep on her like on her prowess you can feel it much more there um I also recommend of course if you're looking for more children's book stuff uh, I think the Phantom Tollbooth is a much older but still very phenomenal very classic book in this style I also maybe selfishly would recommend Gazeba's Bed and Breakfast which is my upcoming tabletop role-playing game about a interdimensional bed and breakfast and the found family that has gathered there together run by a heartless witch it has a lot of that fairyland whimsy while still being very truthful and honest about the nature of the world like the main character is a runaway girl who like is truly a runaway like you know there's like you know you get a little bit of her backstory and you're like wow that's pretty dark um and that's just you know that's that's you know, it has a lot of my kind of fascinations with that. And it's a tabletop role-playing game that is also very enjoyable to read. So have you read um, have you read The Galaxy in the Ground Within by Becky Chambers? No, I haven't. So you should read. Have you read any Becky Chambers books? I have not, but I recognize the name. Yeah, so um you would really, really enjoy her stuff, I think, because she does some incredible stuff about gender. Um, so she, a lot of her books are set in, well, they're all set, all the ones I've read are, um, uh, are set in um, in an alien context. Um, and mm-hmm. it, what's really cool about it is the human race has been joined by a load of other races. So like we've kind of joined mm-hmm. a galactic union or whatever, but, yeah. but we've joined as the weakest race. So we've turned up, and we're in, not in a position of kind of galactic strength, but we're the kind of we're the we're kind of the immigrants and the other and the yeah. alien, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, but so there's you should read them because they are fantastic and they do some really interesting stuff with some of the aliens have totally different concepts of childhood. So like one of them, like they have no pater- they have no what's the word for like not even paternal male parent no parental role at all within their society mm. whereas others don't consider like their children to be sentient creatures until they reach a certain point so up to that point they don't they don't value their sanctity of life or anything like that up to the, like the point it's of 18 um oh and they've got, they've got they've got and they've got races that have got like five genders so who just consider any like all of the hang-ups that humans have about gender, they just they just don't even understand them. And anyway, they're very cool. But The Galaxy in the Ground Within uh, is the fourth book in the series and is set in a bed and breakfast. And there's a kind of a meteor strike. And so these four completely different individuals are stuck in a bed and breakfast for like three days. And it's, the, it's just the story of those relations. It's really, yeah, but it fits really well. Fits really well with the Yazeba. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. Um, thank you very much, Jay. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, um, both both before we started recording and afterwards. <laughs> Where can we find out more about you and your work? 
Uh, you can find out more about me and my work uh, at possumcreekgames.com. That's the publishing company I help run. Uh, you can also keep an eye on me on Twitter for now. Uh, hopefully by the time this podcast episode comes out as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jay, I'm, a, I'm a, at jdragski. Um, you can find me on a bunch of places. Tumblr, for some reason, I'm back again. Uh, and I have a Patreon. The Creekside Community Center is where you can go to support our new and upcoming projects. Check out maybe some of my experimental fiction writing, all that kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff. It ends up on the Possible Creek Patreon. Fantastic. Uh, we shall look forward to doing that. I'm hoping on the Beyond Cataclysm store to to get some more of the Possum Possum Street. Definitely not Possum, Possum Street. Street. Possum Possum Street is your kind of Sesame Street sort of crossover <laughs> RPG. Um, now that I some, moved to Philly, that's uh... a <laughs> um, to get some more of your stuff on the store. Um, it's a uh, it's hard to get some of that stuff in the UK in a in a yeah. cost effective manner. Is the uh, the challenge? Yeah. We are. We oh, trust me. There. <laughs> the number of people who have emailed like being like, why is shipping so high? And it's like the United States is a steaming hellfire. Thank you very kindly. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I think we I posted out a load of Kickstarter before Christmas. I like, I think I posted some on the 16th of November. I just got the the failed customs le- like parcel returned to me today, which was, uh, oh, which no. was very helpful. Um, this has been a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. Uh, if you enjoyed it, check out our other episodes uh, and our other podcast, What is Roleplay? A look at the basics of roleplay games and RPGs with special guests and a beginner-friendly approach. I'm definitely going to try and get Jay to come on that one as well. <laughs> it won't be hard to get me on, don't worry. <laughs> uh, Please do give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Even if you hated it and thought it was rubbish, just be nice and give us a five-star review. I think it impacts the algorithm in some wonderful way. Our aim at Beyond Cataclysm for 2023 is to sustainably pay Dave, um, our in-house artist, editor, website maintainer, back rub giver. I mean, Dave doesn't give me back rubs because he lives about 600 miles away from me, but he would do if we paid him on Patreon. So check out patreon.com forward slash Beyond Cataclysm and buy awesome things from us and other creators at beyondcataclysm.co.uk. Jay, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Have a great day. You've just listened to This Book I Read, hosted by me, C.M. Lowry. Find out more about us, our podcasts, opportunities for submissions to our projects, and more at beyondcataclysm.co.uk. Thanks for listening.